Kopitiam Conversations. This is Kopitiam Conversations. I'm your host, Winston. For the month of August, in conjunction with our Merdeka National Day celebrations, our guest is someone who has served our country at the highest level in the sports arena. To many Malaysians, she is regarded as a hero. This episode, I sit down to talk to our guest, Ku Chai Lin, who is a former Malaysian swimmer with five gold medals at the SEA Games to her name, and has represented Malaysia at two Olympics, at Beijing 2008 and London 2012. She holds four individual national records, and previously, part of the team that holds three relay national records. Chai Lin is currently in client servicing with Havas Imers. Okay, good morning Chai Lin. It's so good to morning. see you again. I remember the last time I saw you, we were in a real Kopitiam, not in Kopitiam <laughs> competitions, but in a real proper Kopitiam at Bukit Jalil. So you started competitive swimming at around 7. Actually, I started, I started training at about 5 or 6 years old, but competitive swimming only about 12 or 13 years old. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I didn't really have anybody that I really looked up to when I was younger. It was just more like, you know, uh, forced to go for swimming classes by my mom and then uh, that's it. And then I like, trying to figure a way out of swimming class as well. Lu mm. Huda or Jeffrey Ong wasn't a hero back then or anything like that? When I was younger, no, because I didn't know who they were. But as I got more involved in competitive swimming, then yeah, uh, Nur Huda and Jeffrey Ong became my idol. You were a professional athlete in swimming? Uh, more so on freestyle, middle and long distance. So what is a typical day for a professional athlete like? I'm sure you had to do your weight training on one side, of, of course, on top of your swim training. Walk yeah. us through uh, what a typical day for you would be like. Okay, so if I... Okay, we'll talk about when I was still in secondary or in university, right? right. So training typically starts at 6.30 in the morning until 8.30. And then we'll quickly like um, take a shower, take a take quick breakfast and then go off to like either high school or u uni. And then the second session starts at about um, 2.30 or 3 depending on the day. And then we will either be at the gym and then go to the swimming pool for another two hours or two to three hours of swimming. Or if we're not at the gym, then we go for dry land training, which is basically drills that we do or mimic on the dry land uh, with our swim techniques and whatnot. And so we'll finish about 6.37. And then if I was still in high school, I would have prep at night. Right. And um, if I wasn't studying, then um, it would just be like a chill night for me. Okay, that's yeah. So basically, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, true. Uh, we usually have prep at night because like we don't have enough time during the day to finish our syllabus. So school is only from nine thirty to two thirty. That's it. So whatever we don't finish during the daytime, then we will have extra classes at night. So what time do you actually like turn into bed? Hmm, I try to turn into bed like 10.30 at 11 max because sometimes even during prep I can't even concentrate anymore because I'm so tired. 6.30 to about 10.30 to 11 at night. That's actually quite a long day considering the things that you are doing. It's like, wow, how do you manage that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a professional I, yes. <laughs> yeah, the first time I joined a national team, I think my 
first month was really difficult because it was like almost um, training two sessions a day and then with school in between whereas when I was at club level I didn't used to train two sessions every day I've been following your vlog every now and then right okay so you mentioned in your vlog that you never really liked swimming when you were young um, mm. I reckon it's about age 7 to about 11 like that because yeah. you, always, you always finish last in your races you mentioned yeah. that <laughs> So, uh, do you have to do any adjustment, any changes in your diet, your lifestyle, or even your approach in general over those uh, four years to develop the winning mentality, which eventually got you started on the winning ways? Um, not really, actually, because um, I've never been very big on diet, so I just ate whatever was on the table at home. Um, sometimes I like sneak a, a fried ham at school. School, uh, school canteen because you know like when you're in primary school you just want to try everything right, right, right. so diet wasn't uh, a major role I didn't change anything at all except that you know as I got better in swimming a little stronger then I started to win and then I realized hey this is actually not that bad all right okay so I believe it was during this uh these four crucial years that you found out that you had scoliosis, right? I think it was during the, around this time. Or was it earlier? I, um, I think we, we found out I had scoliosis when I was about 8 or 9 years old. Because my mom has scoliosis as well. So she knows how to um, check for scoliosis symptoms at home. So we do that on a regular basis. So when I was 8 or 9, that's when we found out I had scoliosis. And then, yeah, the doctor just recommended to put us, like, to continue swimming because it's a more balanced sport compared to racket sports or golf, where it's, like, more one-sided. So how do you actually come to realise that you actually had it? Was it, like, you started having recurring pain? Or did you notice some irregularities with your physiology? Like, maybe, I don't know, lopsided shoulders, or you, you feel that, you know, your body is slanted one way or the other? I don't know, maybe it could be a more social thing that maybe some of your friends you know, started teasing you or something like that. Um, how do you came to realise? Um, so the test that you can do at home is like very simple test. Like you just stand up straight and then bend um, over forward. And then you look at the back. If it's flat, then it's more or less like a normal back. But if it's like a little hump on one side of the back, then um, there is a possibility that you may have scoliosis because scoliosis also makes the rib cage rotate. So with the rotation of the rib cage, when you bend over, that's where you get like a hump in the back. So when I was younger, no one actually really made fun of me because I guess kids. I mean, I guess because it wasn't really that bad as well. Right. I only started to get made fun of. I think later in my teen years. But nobody would really like directly come up to me and make fun of me. You know, it was always behind my back and then I heard it from somebody else. But at the beginning, it was really tough. Like, um, you know, when you get made fun of, it's always very tough, right? And then you just kind of get used to it. Or sometimes when you want to fight back, like you just think of a smart way to answer people back. So for me, it was getting stronger in the pool, uh, winning more medals and you know, eventually just tell people like, hey, I have scoliosis and I can still win. Like, what are you doing? You know, like, it would just like, literally just shut them up and they won't make fun of me anymore. That's why I believe it's so inspirational about you because you can still manage a professional swimming career as well as managing your scoliosis. So, hats off to you, uh, Chai Ling. 
yeah. you. <laughs> what made you decide to open up and share to the world about your struggle with scoliosis? I mean, it's a brave and admirable move because to a lot of people, they probably find this as something that's very personal, very intimate to them, don't really want to share with other people. And sometimes, you know, if they're suffering from this predicament, it's better not to talk about it, don't let people know about it and all. So what made you come up to share your story? Because I think a lot of people may be in the same position as you. So when I was searching for um, aftercare for scoliosis operations, there was a lot of studies, but it was a, from a doctor's point of view, which I felt is not really relevant because they aren't the ones that are going through the operation. To them, a successful operation might be just fixing the, the patient and getting them as straight as possible, you know. But from my point of view, it's like the quality of life after scoliosis operation or like uh, what can you and can you not do after a scoliosis operation. Of course, the doctors will give you a booklet or give you information about what or how you should take care of yourself after the operation. But it's to me, it's not extensive enough. And there was not many uh, point of view from a patient's perspective. So I thought, okay, maybe I should start blogging about it. Um, one, just to keep a record for myself of what I've went through. Uh, and two, hopefully, you know, it might help somebody as well. So coming out was actually, um, I would say scary and also upsetting at the same time because I remember the first picture that I posted on Instagram about scoliosis. It was a picture of me from the back. Um, my ex-colleague was the one who... Sorry? I remember that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my ex-colleague was the one who took the picture for me. And then um, and, and that was the first time I actually saw the picture of my back from behind, right? Because I, you know, I mean, who, who knows what you look like from behind except for other people you only know like what you look like in front right. so, so when i saw that picture i got really disheartened but i also still wanted to let people know what people with scoliosis go through but at the same time i was also sad like i was disheartened that my back actually looks like that and hence why the picture was in black and white but um, moving on to my second post and then like how people commented like oh you know like thanks for opening up I'm going through the same thing and whatnot then I realized like hey I'm not alone and you know if I can help somebody why not because all this while back in college I never really knew you were actually suffering from scoliosis when I saw that it you know struck a chord with me because here's a little fun fact I used to work as a medical rep before, medical representative. Uh. And I also, you know, sold implants for scoliosis previously. Alright? So, oh, wow. Fun fact, you didn't know that about me, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously, when I, when I saw that picture, I was like, oh, okay, it struck a chord in me and uh, Chai is suffering from scoliosis? Wow, I never realised this. Alright, she looks yeah. so healthy. Uh, she's got this reputation as a professional athlete, you know. It doesn't look like as if you had any ailment on that matter. Alright, for that matter, right? So, it, it was like, you know, I think it came as a surprise as well as a shock for me. I think it was, was it World of Buzz or something like that that said that um, you had a very difficult time because, you know, people saw your Instagram and, you know, started commenting and, and passing not so nice comments and all that sort of things, right? I, I believe, was mm. it World of Buzz or was it... Oh, it was right? Yeah. So, not too sure, it was one of these, yeah. So, um, that kind of like, you know, made me um, 
on one hand sympathize for you but on the other hand it also made me very proud of you because i knew you were stronger than that right thank you <laughs> yeah so during your professional career was there a point when you felt like giving up swimming because the pain became like too much or too unbearable i don't think i ever thought of giving up because of my scoliosis and the pain like it was more so like am i going anywhere with my swimming career anymore can i still improve and things like that it was never about my scoliosis so what kept you going yeah my dreams of going to the olympics yeah so it was just like at first my target was uh beijing olympics in 2008 and then after i got that then the next target was 2012 london olympics and then um followed by the 2016 olympics which i in the end i didn't manage to make at all that's and that's right? where i ah, yes in real right. uh and that's where i had to make a decision like do i still want to continue swimming or you know uh close this chapter and move on in life But eventually, you made it to two Olympics, right? The, the Beijing yeah, one and the London one. Have you ever considered surgery midway through your professional career, or do you think that there was too much at stake right there? Um, it was never a thought to have surgery midway through my career because there was no doctor who could guarantee that I could return back to competitive swimming again. So at the beginning, I already knew I needed to get surgery in the near future when. When it, where, whenever that would be, but I had yearly checkups with the doctors and um just to monitor my scoliosis. And true enough, or unfortunately, every year it was getting a little worse. A little worse means um you had more difficulty stretching or doing certain exercises. Actually, that's a good question. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, My worst was actually um, the curvature was like getting worse, but, ha, huh, yeah. Now that you mention, uh, I don't think it really restricted my movement or what I can or couldn't do because, like, simple things like um, squats or deadlifts, it it was a huge no no for me from the beginning. Because right. if I do that, like, my back will be like extremely painful. So. My exercises in the gym were more tailored according to my my back needs, I would say. Now, um, so it's a perfect segue now that I can actually talk about this. So, what were the kind of stretches or exercises you had to do to ease the pain or the tension that scoliosis brought you? Were there any different? Um, not very different, to be honest. Um, the only stretches that I needed to do more was. For my lower back and my hamstrings as well, because my scoliosis is curved in a way that it pulls my pelvis up towards the back, and then so that's why I have very very tight hamstrings and、uh, lower back as well. So I just needed to do like more lower back stretches and、uh, hamstring exercises. Ah,、uh, stretching. Sorry. Right. So no squats and no、uh, deadlifts. You were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Swimming, you need to have very strong hamstring and all, right? Yeah. Do no squats. Uh, yeah, but then we tailored it to like other exercises. So if I can't do squat, then we I would use another machine. It's like a, um, you're laying down forty five degrees, and then so this is your body, and then this is your legs. So you just uh lift the weights、right. this way instead of going up and down this way. So uh, moving on to the surgery that you had in May twenty seventeen. Okay.、Mm. Now you decided to get the spinal. 
fusion operation. I think that's what it's called, right? I, I think you yep. mentioned that. Yep. Uh, following which, after that surgery, you retired from your filming career. So it's been four years since the surgery now, right? So it's, it's um, July 2021 yeah. right now. So four years already. Now talk us through your rehabilitation process. Five weeks after my operation, I started rehab. Uh, it was very tough. Like, I've never felt so weak in my life before. <laughs> really? You, you, I saw so, the photos. You, you were walking after, what, two days or something like that? No, uh, you have to. Because if you don't walk, that means there's something wrong with the surgery and you need to immediately go back to the OT. So, apparently during the operation itself, they ask you, because you're lying on your front, right? Yeah. They will ask you to lift your leg up. So if you, you're not able to lift your leg up, that means there's something wrong and they will do um, whatever necessary on the spot. Right. But obviously, they don't wake you up to do that. Uh, apparently, you do it subconsciously. So, um, day, I think I started walking on day two and wow, that was difficult. Like even to get out of bed, it was so tiring. So I think the first three weeks maybe for me was the toughest. It was like, everything was restricted you know like even lying on my bed turning lifting my arm up to get my water bottle i couldn't even do that you know it was you you never think about these kind of things like when you sneeze or when you cough like it affects your back as well so my first sneeze i had at the hospital i think was like on the fourth or fifth day i thought my stitches were gonna rip apart oh. <laughs> i was like because I read about it before, so when I, I felt a sneeze coming, I'm like, oh my god, how do I stop this? And obviously, you can't stop a sneeze. So when I sneeze, my tears are just rolling. <laughs> yeah, so um, rehab started five weeks after. Uh, I went back to the National Sports Council to do my rehab, so it was almost... Um, two sessions a day. I'm very lucky because they allow me to stay there in the hostel as well. So I don't have to travel up and down, um, you know, such for such a long distance going there and back home. Um, yeah, I started off with like really, really light weights and then like um, building up my muscles again. And then I think by like week seven or week eight, um, that was the first time I went back to the swimming pool and it was very difficult like things that i could do with my eyes closed last time i couldn't even do anymore like the simple thing i had to do was kicking so i had to put a kicking board under my belly to make sure my back is stabilized right. so i had to hold the kicking board and try to kick and i couldn't even do that like my balance was totally off and i'm like what's going on <laughs> And then my rehab coach was like, "Wow, not such a tough Olympian now, huh?" What? <laughs> <laughs> but it was savage. <laughs> it, it was a good. It was a good process because like every day I could feel something improving. Like I could feel, oh, this is not as tough as yesterday. Like oh, this is not as painful. I could stretch a little more, you know. So it was quite motivating actually. Can't imagine. <laughs> really, really can't imagine that that you know. Yeah, imagine trying to learn how to walk again. That that's how it is. Do you still have to um, go, you know, to make visits to the clinic, you know, to to get a follow up? And, and are you still doing that like like today? 
Um, so the first three years, uh, I have to go back every year just for one regular checkup. So my last checkup was last year in a. It was supposed to be in May, but because of the COVID cases, I postponed my appointment to October, thinking you know the cases would go down, but it didn't go down, and it, in October was way worse. But I still had to go for my follow up, so I did it then. And then um, everything was good. Uh, my doctor was really happy about it. So my next follow up will be in two years' time. I mean, two years from October last year. So next year. So for yeah. So after my follow up next year, and then I'm good to go. Like I don't have to follow up with him anymore. Anymore. Yeah. So oh. basically, he just wants to check like if everything is okay. Like is my scar okay? So once you get this uh, uh, spinal fusion operation, right? Okay. Once you get this done, and after a few follow ups, and it's good to go for forever. You don't need to yeah. go back and and to you know maybe I don't know um, get an observation or something like that. No. Uh, apparently not. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Like after after five years, they release you. Uh, okay, release you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, another question uh, relating to this is, of course, uh, when did you realize that, okay, I think this is it, this is the end of my professional swimming career? So, after I didn't make it to the 2016 Rio Olympics, um, I took a, a month off from swimming. So, that's what I usually do every year. Like, I take a two to four week break from swimming just to, you know, relax, um, do another sport or you know some basically just recuperate and have some me time right. but after one month i realized like i didn't miss swimming anymore and like there was no urge to go back to the pool because before that it would always be like after after two weeks i would just want to go back you right. know and then after uh after the real olympics after a month i still didn't feel like going back and then my coach said okay take some more time off right and then after two months, he texted and he was like, uh, are you ready to come back? And I'm like, uh, I don't think I'm ever coming back. Like, you know, like this is probably it for me. And then he just, he just asked like, okay, make sure this is your decision. Like, make because you cannot turn back anymore. You know, once you, you, once you retire, unless you are a sprinter, then maybe you can come back, but probably never to this level again. And more recently, um, he also left the Malaysian swimming uh, mm. team as well, right? I think I've read. Yeah, he's in Canada now. And of course, Sea Games 2017, you were doing something like media relations or media management uh, for the swim. Media team. management, yes, yes. Right. For the swim slash uh, diving team, right? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, all the aquatic sports. All the aquatic sports, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How do you land that role? <laughs> um. It was actually, I think, three months, three months after my surgery. So, and I was also looking out for a job at that time because I, you know, I've been at home for three months and it's, it was about time for me to start work in the corporate world as well. I can't recall how, but I met this guy who was running the company. Um, I can't even remember what's it called actually. Um, yeah, so he was hiring people to do the media management. So there's like the media managers and then after that, um, we have a bunch of volunteers that help us as well with all the 
whatever that we needed to do. So initially, I thought I was just going to be in charge of swimming and then they were like, oh no, you're in charge of whole aquatics. I'm like, ha! So like, I don't get to see any sports at all. And they're like, yeah, because aquatics is usually really, uh, it starts like way before the opening ceremony and it ends on the closing, the date of the closing ceremony at the, um, as well. So. I didn't get to see any other spot, which I was a little disappointed, but you know, that was my role, so yeah. <laughs> Talking about hectic, you know, I'm curious to know the answer to this question. How do you manage to juggle a professional swimming career, managing the pain of scoliosis and the visits to the orthopedic surgeons? And of course, um, at that time, you were still, uh, could still stay so focused on your academic life. Because I must admit, back then, I didn't know you were living with scoliosis somehow you still managed to put in some decent grades for your exams so i am curious how you manage this and now you tell me okay 6 30 to uh, about 11 pm but wow that seems like a very busy day for anyone for that matter right how do you manage that um i guess it's just a lot of discipline like when i usually pick my classes in uni to be in between of training so, like, if I have a break from training between like 10 to 4 p.m., so that's when I will have to schedule my classes accordingly. And right. it was nice of um, the uni to allow me to pick and choose whichever classes I, I could do whenever I could as well. But that would also mean taking up more, many more years to finish my degree, right? Which to me, I told them, like, I don't really care because at the end of the day, my goal is still to get a degree and with at least decent or good grades. So they were quite nice about that. Um, so yeah, just just try to balance it out. And whenever that I had no class, it was nap time. So that's when I had a, a little break in between my day. Right. Yeah, I think I took like 19, 11, 12, I think five or six years to get my degree. Eventually, you got it, which was excellent. Yeah. That one, yeah. I remember seeing. Okay, this is the final semester for Chinese. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah, and I ended uni with like no friends because everyone had graduated. <laughs> you can't say no friends, but what about all those people who were there in the final semester with you? They are not your friends. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like those that I started out with. Uh. Yeah. So more recently, you are doing uh, client servicing with an advertising agency. So you have moved from PR marketing to uh, advertising agencies, okay, working in client servicing. How has your sports career helped you in your role within the agency? Mm, I think uh, time management definitely works. Uh, and also, I would say, yeah, time management and also juggling between clients and oh. deadlines. A word of advice that perhaps you want to give someone who may be struggling with, you know, uh, scoliosis like, like yourself, okay, uh, what you had struggled in the past. Okay, so what's one advice uh, you want to give them, you know, all things considering that you, know, you were there before? I guess uh, try not to listen too much about what people have to say to you or how you look. What is important is that you know, you're leading a healthy life and trying to find ways to have a pain-free life as well. 
Okay, thank you so much for your time today, Chailin. It was definitely very engaging, a lot of fun talking to you. I, I am enlightened today, really. You know, after <laughs> for so many years, I am actually enlightened today with you know <laughs> your success story, how you survived, you know, uh, the pain of scoliosis to you know what you are doing now. So it's really inspirational, and of course, this is a platform that we want to inspire people. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for inviting me. Go Conversations.